you're not the boss of me now and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Lois's sister, which originally aired February 22nd, 2004, was directed by David DeVidio, and written by Gary Murphy. Hi, I'm Jake, and nothing's wrong with this podcast. It's great. It's my turn to be dragged. And I'm David, and there's nowhere to look. Usually, this is where we would go to our community segment, but we don't have any polls or anything to look to this week. So we will just give a big thanks to all of those of you who support us over on Patreon, where we are Let's Play Death Ray. Uh, which is how you can support us and all of the stuff that we make and gain access to our secret podcast, Uncaged. And with that, let's uh, jump right into this week's episode. And in a uh, Hal and Lois-centric cold open, Hal comes in through the back door with a baby. (laughs) And... They are both completely, like, covered in dirt, and Hal walks in, like, talking about how great of a time they had, and when Lois, like, looks into the car seat and sees the baby, uh, covered in dirt, she says, Hal, and Hal, like, starts going into a spiel about how she's, you know, too overprotective, and how, you know, it's good for a baby to get down in the dirt every once in a while. And she once again tries to get his attention, but he, like, keeps writing her off, saying, uh, you know, not to worry about it, he'll clean Jamie up, and then Lois says, Hal, that's not Jamie. (laughs) 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 And Hal, like, looks shocked into the car seat, and then says, well, I know, uh, who I swapped him with, and he takes the baby back out the door. (laughs) <laughs> Poor Jamie. <laughs> I take solace in knowing he's not old enough to remember this. <laughs> True. It'll only damage him subconsciously. Exactly. <laughs> Look, and whose parents haven't done that? Fair. But getting into the episode proper, we of course will begin with the F plot, which starts with Francis. Uh, having led a uh, group of Buttercup Scouts, which is their, you know, clear, uh, legally distinct from Girl Scouts group. <laughs> yes, Jake, it's legally distinct. That that part's important. <laughs> uh, and they're out in what Francis describes as the wildest, most barren part of the ranch. And he has clearly led them out here to, you know, go on this camping trip. But the troop, like, supervisor lady, I can't remember what the term is. Counselor? uh, I don't think so. Scout leader? Maybe. Like, that's what the Boy Scouts use, I know, is they're the scout leader. Or troop leader. Yeah, I think that's troop leader. That sounds right. We'll go with that. The troop leader. Yeah, you have troop leader and (laughs) scout leader. Are the two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love how difficult that was for you. Uh, I, I am not braining so good today. I did not sleep much. Like- yeah? Yeah. Because of this very podcast. We- weird? Yeah, there, there was a bunch of upload issues with podcasts last night, so I was not uh, super late trying to get it uploaded. Gotcha. I was about to ask. I was like, what? how did this podcast ruin you? but uh she is talking on the phone yelling at someone named gary that he can't do that (laughs) when she hangs up she explains that the camping trip is canceled they're gonna have to go back because uh, her ex-husband is trying to have his boyfriend fertilize her frozen eggs Oh boy, that's a that's a sentence to unpack right there. <laughs> yes, so, so much oversharing in one right. sentence. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> and uh, all of the Girl Scouts are, are like very disappointed, and the the uh, 
troop leader tells them that uh, Buttercup Scouts uh, take disappointment bravely. <laughs> but Francis, seeing how disappointed all these girls are, volunteers to stay with them for the weekend for this camping trip. Ah, uh, Francis. When the uh, troop leader is, like, skeptical, saying, you know, are you sure? He says, absolutely, this is my backyard, I know the land. <laughs> and cut to <laughs> Francis leading these Girl Scouts through uh, the, the ranch land, and they're, they're asking where they are, and Francis says, I don't know. <laughs> when Mr. Mountain Lion showed up, I didn't exactly have time to grab the compass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the idea that they got chased by a mountain lion Right Does not help with the Oklahoma-California argument, though Now, do they have mountain lions in Oklahoma? Uh, I'm pretty sure At the very least, they have they have them in three of the surrounding states So Fair I, They could wander into Oklahoma <laughs> <laughs> Oh, then they're also not in Oklahoma, we're dumb Because they're at the ranch Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But They're also, Mexico. Yes. yes. But uh, one of the other girls uh, says that she's hungry and asks what they're going to do for food. And Francis just says, I'm going to refer you back to the mountain lion statement. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Francis. <laughs> Francis uh, you know, reassures them when they ask where they're going to sleep that... They have water, they'll find shelter, everything's going to be fine. And he, you know, re repeats that he, you know, knows this area and that there's plenty of food around them. Then <laughs> he points at the ground and says, like these, this is an edible fungus called truffles. And <laughs> one of the Girl Scouts looks at what he's pointing at and says, those are deer turds. And Francis just says, oh. Well, I guess we're all going to learn a lot this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious, but also hyper disturbing. Francis, come on, man. You got to know the difference between truffles and deer shit. Come on, man. <laughs> I, don't know, I take it for granted 100% since I grew up in Wyoming, but like, you know what deer poop looks like. Like, that's a basic human skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, when it's in your front yard all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> But then we see Francis and the Girl Scouts in a cave that they have found for shelter with a fire going. And when Francis is saying, you know, it's it's all turning out, we have this fire, we'll be fine. Uh, one of the Girl Scouts, we will learn, is named Brittany, uh, says that they need uh, more firewood. They need enough to keep it going through the night to keep animals away. And then... And not this crappy green stuff like Francis got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, a very common sense thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, Francis, not a survivalist. <laughs> no. Yeah, 100%. Uh. Then uh, when she, like, tells two of the other girls to go get the firewood, Francis tells them to stop, saying, It's dark out there. You can't leave the cave. And uh, he insists that, you know, he is the one in charge. And Brittany turns to all the other girls and says, uh, who votes that Brittany be in charge instead of Francis? And everyone votes for her. <laughs> so she repeats her order. And <laughs> when Francis says, wait, I'm still in charge here. She says, no, you're not. We had a vote. <laughs> and... When Francis starts to put his foot down, the Girl Scouts, like, form up in front of him and start aggressively singing their, like, troop song. Yeah, it's real cultish, and I like it. It's funny. <laughs> yes, and <laughs> as they're singing, there, there's also just, like, a low hum in the audio underneath, like, like a horror movie, like, hum going, and it keeps, like, menacingly, like, cutting to close-ups of the girls just staring at Francis <laughs> with, with the, like, shadows of the fire behind them. Yeah, it's uh, very well done. I love it. It is. <laughs> this causes Francis to, like, sit down on a rock and just sort of quietly say to himself, I'm in charge. 
I'm in charge. (laughs) (laughs) You just keep reminding yourself of that, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Then we see Francis coming back to the cave, proudly declaring that he has scrounged up two tasty-looking lizards and the back half of what he's pretty sure was a gopher. (laughs) But... The Girl Scouts already have two rabbits, like, on a spit, roasting over the fire, along with a pot full of soup. (laughs) (laughs) Which, they explain, are from uh, herbs and plants that they found. Uh, And when Francis says they, they have to get rid of the soup because they don't know if it's safe to eat, they say that they only took plants they saw the rabbits eating first. And... But Francis insists and starts to walk over to grab the soup, saying he's going to pour it out. The Girl Scouts yell at him, saying, uh, you know, stay away, that's our soup. Uh-huh. And as Francis, like, once again tries to establish, you know, I'm the adult here, I'm in charge. Then they, like, once again start to threaten him and gather around. And he says, if you want to be that way, then I'm also bigger and stronger than all of you. So I'm in charge either way, but as he's saying this, Brittany, as one of the other Girl Scouts, go behind him and, like, (laughs) kneel down, and then she shoves him over so that he trips over her, and they all just pounce on him as the camera, like, pans up to just show shadows of these Girl Scouts just wailing Francis. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, also still in the shadows they like proceed to tie him up and string him up by his feet so he's hanging upside down (laughs) yeah as you do jake and we come back to this plot line francis is tied up but sitting now they just have like his feet and hands bound and the girl scouts are all asleep and francis like scooches over to one of them and wakes her up and attempts to turn her against Brittany by saying that uh, he overheard her talking, saying that Donnie Frost likes her, but uh, Brittany didn't tell her because she thinks that she's stuck up. And when uh, she said that her shoes were uh, cute, she was lying. She actually thinks that they're ugly. (laughs) (laughs) When the uh, Girl Scout that he woke up, you know, asks, why would she say that? He says, I think it's because she's two-faced. And we don't want someone like that to be the leader. You should be in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... And and he says that, you know, he'll help her take control and they'll be the best Buttercup Scout troop ever. All she has to do is untie his hands. And (laughs) uh, she says, okay, and Francis turns around and starts talking about how she's making a great decision. And when his back is turned, she kicks him, sending him rolling out of the cave. (laughs) And uh, she yells out that uh, Buttercup Scouts are always loyal. Why don't you think about that while you're sleeping outside? (laughs) (laughs) And this plotline ends back with the troop leader. You know, having driven back, waiting where she left them, starting to get worried because they're not back yet, and they should have been. About that time, the Girl Scouts come back, you know, marching uh, like single order, singing a song, and dragging Francis, who is still tied up behind them, (laughs) who is just, like, covered in cuts and scrapes and mud, and his clothes are all torn. And that's where my opening line comes from as the troop leader, like, runs over to him and asks Francis, Oh my god, what happened? Are you okay? And (laughs) behind her, Brittany gives Francis a threatening look. And Francis just says, Everything's fine. It's just my turn to be dragged. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that wraps up the F plot. And from there, we will go to the main lowest-centered plot line, because the sort of two side plots sort of spin out of it. And I'm going to guess that you labeled this plot line... Hmm. So, (laughs) based on you 
saying to your wife who watched this episode with uh-huh. us that, that, that these siblings reminded you of your wife and her sister. Uh-huh. I think you named this the LB plot for Lisa and Bethany plot. Interesting, Jake. Interesting. No, I did not. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Good guess, though. That's that's I I, I probably would have if I had thought of that. But no, this is the S plot. For sisters? No, for Susan. Clearly. Duh. Jeez, Jake. Try to keep up. <sighs> uh, I feel like we've had a very clear, like, naming scheme for these plot lines. Yeah, yeah, have we? Yeah. Have we? Like, yeah. With, with your Sandlot plot from last time? I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, David. <laughs> I mean... Look, it's about her sister Susan coming to visit. I feel like that was pretty obvious. It starts with the boys cleaning the living room. They're all, like, doing different tasks, cleaning it up. And Lois yells at them that Susan will be here any minute. They need to stop what they're doing and clean up the kitchen. And, uh... Worth knowing that behind her, the, the kitchen is much cleaner than we're used to seeing it already. And... Uh, Hal turns to the boys and says, You heard your mother, go clean the kitchen. Again. <laughs> and Lois, like, as they're moving towards the kitchen, tells them, you know, no, no, don't clean anything. Uh, if Susan's not happy with how, you know, we live, then she can ride her high horse back to her own house. And... As she's saying that and telling them, you know, not to clean, she's, like, also scrubbing the countertop with a sponge without looking at it. <laughs> well, yeah. She's got the compulsion, Jake. You have to clean. Family's coming to town. Then when Dewey asks Malcolm and Reese why Lois uh, always acts so crazy when Aunt Susan is uh, around, they explain that Lois stole Hal from Susan... Uh, which we've sort of had throwaway references to before in previous seasons. Then they also say that they're not supposed to know about that. And uh, when Aunt Susan is around, Francis is a, a year younger than we, uh, than he really is. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Then Susan pulls up driving a Mustang... Uh, which the boys, like, uh, immediately seeing that, you know, talk about how cool of a car it is. Like, looking out the window. And then, uh, she, like, actually, you know, knocks on the door, and they all, like, gather around to greet her. She and Lois immediately, uh, start being just, you know, passive-aggressive and petty at each other. Lois telling her, you know, she, she, uh... Must have run into traffic, and that's why she's so late. But it's fine. A cold lunch is just as good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Lunch is just as good cold. <laughs> why would you be several hours late? And Susan, like, you know, greeting the boys, says, Wow, they're all grown up, and you're still pumping them out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when Lois sends the boys out to get Susan's bags out of her car... Malcolm, like, stops and talks to her, like, briefly about the car and, you know, how nice it is. And Lois says that, you know, uh, you, you can afford nice things like that when you, uh, you know, save all of your money. Uh, maybe we should start doing that and stop getting you boys so many extra things. <laughs> to which all of the boys look at her like she's crazy. <laughs> yes. Uh, then, with all the boys out, uh, uh, you know, getting her stuff, Susan gives Lois a card saying that, you know, this is a present for Jamie. Which, uh, keeping up the pettiness, Lo- Lois says, Wow, this must be some card it took you six months to find. <laughs> <laughs> but Susan one-ups her saying, you know, it's not the card, it's what's inside the card. A $5,000 saving bond. He'll be able to uh, cash in around the time that, that he's uh, going off to college. And when Lois is, you know, shocked by this, she says, you know, someone has to be thinking about his future. Oh, oh Susan. Poor <laughs> deluded Susan. Then we see uh, everyone in the house, like, gathered around, uh, having cookies and coffee. 
and Susan is talking about her husband, Larry, and, you know, dealing with Ida living with them. And she tells them all that Larry was taking a bath, and Ida walked in on him. So he uh, took her wig off and dried himself very thoroughly with it, which they, they all laugh at. And then when Hal says, you know, that, that Larry's a great guy, he's a real keeper, <laughs> she turns to Jay, uh, Jamie and says, yeah, yeah, it's a great feed with someone who's not a backstabbing weasel. A weasel is a terrible animal. Uh. <laughs> and when Lois brings up the uh, gift for Jamie, Susan says, uh, oh, don't worry about that. I got gifts for the other boys, too. And just, like, ignores Lois as she's, you know, explaining that that's not the issue. As she, like, goes over to the door and brings in Dewey's present, which is a cotton candy machine. <laughs> And she, uh, like, apologizes to Malcolm and Reese because they'll have to share their present. And she reveals that she is giving them the Mustang. 65 Mustang. Sure. Yeah, it's relevant later, Jake. It's an old, nice Mustang. That's <laughs> all you need to know. <sighs> but uh, those respective gifts sort of serve as, like, the center of the two, like, sort of spin-off plot lines. True. Uh, fr from there, like, Reese and Malcolm have sort of their own plot line that doesn't really connect much, and then Dewey sort of has his own. Uh, though to uh, finish setting that up, we, we do see Hal uh, as he, like, goes outside with the boys, and he is removing the engine from the Mustang and, like, putting it over in the garage next to Dewey's cotton candy machine. Yeah, this yeah. thing's like a full-size, old-timey, carnival cotton candy machine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, the boys are all, you know, complaining about this, asking why he's doing this. And uh, Hal tells them that, you know, they just need to learn to accept that your mother and Susan are crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells them that, you know, and until further notice uh, that they're not going to be able to use their respective gifts, and he puts a giant deadbolt on the garage door and locks it all away. Then uh, we see Lois and Hal, like, in the kitchen, uh, talking about uh, that they're, you know, fighting with Susan for, from the night before over, uh, you know, all of the gifts. And Lois says that, uh, you know, Susan is out shopping, or at least that's what she says, but, you know, she's probably out renting a car for herself so that we have to keep the Mustang for the boys. Then the, uh, Susan's cell phone rings, and Lois, uh, makes fun of her for having a classical music ringtone. How pretentious can you get? Yeah. <laughs> God. She... Walks over and answers it uh, while Hal is telling her not to. <laughs> and uh, it is her doctor who, like, initially mistakes her for Susan because their, you know, voices sound pretty similar. But Lois corrects him, saying, I know that this isn't Susan, this is her sister. And upon hearing this, the doctor says, wait, you're Susan's sister? <laughs> and she says, yeah, why? Uh... He says that she should have been in months ago to get blood tests to see if her kidney is compatible with Susan, who he explains has uh, late-stage renal failure and needs a new kidney or she is going to die. I uh, finishes off by saying that Susan told him she was an only child. <laughs> then uh, we see uh, Susan come back. From her shopping trip as she has bought outfits for Jamie. She has them like dressed up like a little sailor. And as she's like sitting there on the bed with Lois next to her. Uh, she tells Lois that you know she uh, is jealous of Lois's family. And uh, like regrets not having children of her own. And it seems like she's you know starting to like open up and you know move past things with Lois. But then Lois says... Is that why you didn't want to uh, ask for my kidney? <laughs> and it reveals that, you know, she answered the phone and that it was her doctor who told her everything. 
Which, of course, makes Susan upset that she answered her phone. Uh, sort of, you know, de deflecting from the bigger issue. Then, uh, Hal, like, steps in as they start to scream at each other to pull Jamie out, saying, I'm not getting involved, I'm just pulling an innocent baby to safety. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But, uh, of course, Lois and Susan start screaming at each other, and, you know, they're... they're their fighting just escalates and starts turning into, you know, uh, like looping into old arguments. As Lois says, uh, th this is just like the cherry cobbler all over again. <laughs> we then see, uh, like, Hal asleep being woken up by a tapping sound, which the, the camera, like, pulls out to reveal it is Lois, who is just, like, sitting up in bed, you know, like, tapping her, uh, fingers on the, uh, bedside table, and, uh, Hal is, like, talking to her as Lois is trying to figure out what she should do, because she can't just watch her sister die, she clearly has to do something, and Hal says, you know, I understand, but she's a grown woman. You can't make her take a kidney. And Lois reveals that her current plan is to have her declared legally unsound of mind so that they can force her to take the kidney. Huh. And, uh, and Hal says, you know, that'll never work. She says, oh, yes, it will. Get her, uh, you know, five minutes in front of a psychiatrist and they'll see that she's crazy. <laughs> Hal says, you know, when your sister's around, you don't exactly have the high ground when it comes to the whole sanity defense. Then, <laughs> uh, as Hal, like, comforts Lois and they go off to sleep, it seems like they have made peace with not being able to control what Susan does. But, of course, this is not the case, as we then see Susan coming in for what she thinks is her dialysis treatment. And when the doctor greets her and says, you know, today's going to be a great day, she, she sort of writes that off, saying, yeah, dialysis treatment, it's gonna be great. <laughs> and he, like, looks very confused as he says, uh, no, today we're doing the kidney transplant. <laughs> And uh, as, you know, Susan now looks very confused. He says, do you not remember we talked about this four days ago on the phone? You agreed to come in and have the procedure done. And then he, Lois comes out of a uh, operating room in a wheelchair uh, in her scrubs. And the doctor says, you know, uh, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be out of post-op yet. <laughs> to which Susan just says, post-op. <laughs> <laughs> and Lois says, that's right, they've already taken my kidney out. It's waiting for you. You can either take it or throw it in the trash. Power move. Boom. <laughs> and at that point, Hal comes over and tells Susan, you know, he was so glad to hear that she uh, accepted Lois's kidney, to which Susan declares that she did not accept any of this. <laughs> and it's... Sort of revealed that Lois has set all of this up, <laughs> which the uh, doctor sort of mutters to himself, saying that the board is not gonna like that. Uh, Hal just turns to Lois and says, see, this is exactly what I meant by crazy. Then, <laughs> <laughs> as Susan is still resisting taking the kidney, Lois is like pleading with her. And she tells Susan that she loves her and she doesn't want her to die. And Susan says that, uh, you know, Lois has never loved her, which prompts Lois to, uh, like, stand up out of her wheelchair and tell a bunch of childhood stories, uh, like Susan dumping pudding on their dad's head when he wouldn't let them have their dessert, and Lois laughing so hard she fell and hit her head on a coffee table, you know, leaving a scar and connecting the freckles on Susan's ankle to make a bunny and Susan piercing Lois's ear with a fishing hook because Lois was too much of a wuss to do it herself. The capped tooth that Susan has in her mouth from beating up a girl that called Lois a bitch. And, you know, she 
like wraps up her little speech by saying and you know now she has this uh scar on her side from giving her this kidney uh because she loves her so much and susan finally like getting teary-eyed says fine i'll take the kidney but you're always the big one so we'll see if it even fits <laughs> god what a oh my god what a fucked up thing to say but also, I feel like it's something that my sister-in-law would say. Fair enough. But then uh, th- this plot line wraps up back at the Wilkerson house where Lois and Hal are, like, talking about everything that happened. And Hal says, well, are you happy that, you know, you won? And Lois says, you know, it, it was never about winning. It was about, you know, doing the right thing. And then the camera, like, lingers on her for a moment as, you know, she initially has, like, a very, like, calm face that, like, slowly turns into a smug grin. (laughs) Then that leaves sort of the two, like, minor side plots relating to Susan's gifts to the boys. Which we will start with the, like, very brief Dewey one. Yeah, it is the simplest. And, uh, (laughs) man... (laughs) Did did you keep them all simple? I don't know. Did I? Or, or, or did you? Ah, <sighs> uh, your turn to suffer. I'm gonna say you called this one the B A plot for buried a lot. <laughs> no, Jake. This is the C C plot for cotton candy. I thought you had it for a second. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> This plot line, uh, you know, obviously uh, picks up with, with, you know, all of the stuff being locked in uh, the garage, which does not stop Dewey as he, like, stacks some stuff up so that he can climb through, like, the small window in the top of the garage. And it, when he gets in there, uh, he, of course, starts making himself some cotton candy. Uh, and we get, like, a little montage of him, like, going through the steps as, you know, teaches himself how to use this machine. And he makes, like, a giant cotton candy that's bigger than he is. And he says his entire life has been leading up to this moment. Uh, then we get, like, a- another cutaway to Dewey once again in the garage as he is making, like, topiary-esque, like, sculptures. Out of the cotton candy. Uh, it was great. I love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, a little, like, minor detail uh, as Dewey is asleep next to Malcolm. As Malcolm is, like, waking up for uh, reasons we'll get to in his plot line. Dewey is, like, in his sleep just, like, twitching. Presumably from, you know, all of the sugar he has ingested. <laughs> <laughs> There is no blood, Jake. There is only sugar. (laughs) Then the, like, third and final uh, Dewey cutaway is it just cuts to Dewey as all of the walls of the garage have just been, like, completely covered in cotton candy. And then, like, Dewey looks around and realizes he doesn't have a way out of the garage anymore. And he, like, starts to panic. And he screams out for help, and then it, like, cuts to the outside of the garage where Malcolm and Reese are playing basketball. But the cotton candy has insulated him enough that they can't hear him screaming for help. (laughs) It cuts back to the inside of the garage where where Dewey, you know, having realized that, you know, no one can help him and he's trapped himself, just shrugs and says, oh, well, and starts eating the cotton candy off the wall. (laughs) That's right. That is some proper problem solving. And uh, that that is it for that very minor Dewey plotline. Yeah, but that does leave the Malcolm and Reese plotline. Which I'm, I'm guessing you named the M plot for Mustang. Kind of. You know what? I- I'll give you that one. Because I was an idiot. And I didn't give it like an acronym to go with it. Okay, did you call it the 69 Mustang? 65. 65. But yes. Uh, Yes, but that's the funny one. This is a real one. Uh, But yes, I called it the 65 Mustang plotline because I was like, Jake will hate that. (laughs) All right, I'll I'll give you that one. Okay. 
Also, I would have been furious if you had given this one one of one of your stupidly intricate <laughs> names, which I was half expecting. I, I I considered it, but but I wanted to keep all of them simple this time. I felt like I hadn't done that really. That's true. You hadn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I gotta keep it fresh, Jake. This is the first you know season where you're really trying to go beyond yourself and actually learn about titles. So I'm trying to you know give you a lot of different variation. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like I'm really learning. <laughs> well, you know, when the student is ready, the master will appear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but th this plot line, of course, also like starts with you know Susan giving the boys their gifts. Uh, it's the the like detail that I left out of that is that uh, as she like gives them you know the, the keys to the Mustang, uh, and Lois starts you know telling her that you know that this is way too much. <laughs> Malcolm turns and tells Lois, uh, technically, this is an interaction between Aunt Susan and us. And Reese says, that's right, and I'm willing to hire a lawyer to defend that point. <laughs> then uh, when the, you know, engine gets taken away and locked away in the garage, of course, Malcolm and Reese, uh, you know, are, are talking about how unfair it is. Then we, we, like, see their complaining continue into the next day as they're just, like, sitting next to the car that they can't drive, sort of moping. And they're, you know, talking about how horrible it is to have this cool car right here next to them, but they can't even drive it. And Reese says it's like the hot nun that shows up every year for the toy drive. And Reese gives them hope, saying that he'll come up with an idea. And when Malcolm says, you know, there's nothing we can do, Reese says, you're underestimating the power of my brain. And he explains that his brain is like a deep, dark chasm, but every once in a while, a ray of light shines down directly, and that's when he has his moment of genius. <laughs> Malcolm, still looking very distraught, says, so you're saying our only hope is for you to have a genius moment. <laughs> then we see... This is where we get the... Uh, scene with Malcolm uh, sleeping next to Dewey, and he is awakened as a timer goes off, turning the lamp on above his bed. And when it wakes Malcolm up and he, he like, looks at it, there's a note from Reese under the lamp with an address for him to go to. And it just says, from Reese, I'm a genius, with genius spelled wrong. But Malcolm goes off to meet up with Reese at this address. And he sees that Reese has had the car towed to the top of a hill. And, <laughs> and Malcolm is asking, you know, what are we going to do here? We still can't drive the car. Reese explains that at the bottom of this hill, there's a kager, and they're going to it. And they get in, and Reese you know, releases the parking brake and puts it in neutral. And they coast down to the party doing, you know, the, the, like, stereotypical, like, dramatic, like, turn as they reach th th this party. And uh, Malcolm is, you know, still doubting Reese, saying, you know, we, we, we still can't drive this thing. This is never going to work. But two girls come over and immediately start talking about how cool of a car it is. And, uh, of course, as soon as that happens, Malcolm is in. Uh -huh. he immediately tells them exactly what car it is. Then we see Malcolm and Reese flirting with these girls in the car, as Reese is uh, in the front seat with one while Malcolm is in the back with another, <laughs> and Reese is just giving a, like, monologue about how he likes to think when he drives. Or sometimes he doesn't think at all when he drives, he just drives. But no matter where he drives, he finds that people... Are still people. <laughs> so deep, man. Yes. The girl next to him is like eating it up, <laughs> saying that is so true. And in the back seat, Malcolm is talking to the other girl sitting with him, and he asks, Hey, do you remember last week when I tried to talk to you at school and you looked at me and asked your friends, uh, Look at this thing trying to talk to me? How come now you're, you know, uh, here with me and, you know, actually talking to me? Is it because you got to know me better? 
Or, you know, is it because you're uh, curious about getting to know me better? Or is it the car? It's the car. And Malcolm just says, okay, cool. And turns to camera and says, sometimes I love high school. <laughs> then uh, it seems like their, uh, you know, master plan is going to start to fall apart as the uh, girl next to Reese asks if they can drive somewhere, you know, more private for all of them. But Reese manages to uh, deflect that as well, saying, you know, uh, why would we need to go somewhere more private? I'm here on a beautiful night with a beautiful girl, and there's some beautiful bushes over there. <laughs> Malcolm is shocked as she goes along with it, saying, you're right, I'm gonna go get some blankets. <laughs> <laughs> Having seen all of this stuff go right, Malcolm, like, leans forward as, as the girls leave and tells Reese that he is a god of a universe where there are no consequences and where people like him who have rational thoughts and common sense usually aren't allowed, but Reese has dragged him into this world and he'll never doubt him again. He will follow Reese anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Malcolm. <laughs> then a couple of teenagers come running down, yelling that they're cops at the top of the hill. They're coming. Everyone scatter. <laughs> and... Everyone runs to their cars and starts them up and we get like an overhead shot revealing that the only way for them to leave is like barricaded now by the Mustang and everyone starts yelling for them, you know, to move their car and Reese panicking says, I think the battery's dead. <laughs> One of the party goers immediately says, that's fine, I'll give you a jump, <laughs> and opens up the hood, of course, finding that there is no engine at all, <laughs> and his final desperate plea, <laughs> Reese yells, oh my god, someone stole our engine, <laughs> I'm, uh... I'm glad the cops are coming, I want names, <laughs> and the, like, final tidbit uh, for this episode is uh, Malcolm and Reese walking past Lois as she's, you know, sitting at the kitchen table and she tells them, uh, you better not be planning on going anywhere. And Malcolm reassures her that they have no plans to go anywhere until everyone who was at that party dies of old age. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps this episode up. So let's go to our award. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. yeah. Awards. And as usual, we will begin with the Roller Skating King Award, the award for the best visual moment. What did you give your award? Oh, dude, it was a toss-up for me, because, like, I really loved the uh, Reese and Malcolm, like, drifting into the party scene. Because it's like that quintessential, like, high school moment, you know? Yeah. Like, that is, it is the cool guy moment. But Dewey's coffin or tomb of cotton candy just looks so good. I had to end up giving it to that. <laughs> I love the way they did that. Yeah, that, that was also my first choice. But uh, since you took that, I, I will go with my backup. I went with Francis being dragged <laughs> at the end of the episode. That was number three. <laughs> by the Girl Scout troop. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and the look she gives him. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. It really is. And uh, what did you give your Hot Dog with Mustard Award? Your award for the best line. Oh, uh, this ended up having to go to Hal. Don't mind me. I'm not saying. I'm just removing an innocent child from the line of fire. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was a solid line. But I gave my hot dog with mustard award to uh, Susan saying, well, like, towards the end of the episode, uh, you have me looki looking forward to the afterlife. And then Lois's reply is just, good luck, dad's there. That was my backup. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, so funny. Uh, and way too relatable. 
It is just like such a good comeback. <laughs> it really is. And moving on to the next award, who did you choose as your favorite character? So I, I again, I went with Lois on this one. This is a really good Lois-centric kind of episode. I agree. I also went with Lois. She's insane, but it's super funny. And, like, it's so, God, sister rivalry BS that explodes into this giant thing over small things. I can only imagine the strain between my sister-in-law and my wife when they were younger if something like that had happened between them like because they're pretty good about it now like because you know they're adults they're mature but like dude when they were younger they were like this over little shit yeah yeah i mean just just you know imagine if one of them had caught the other one having sex with their boyfriend on their prom night on their car yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe let's not imagine that, because in this scenario, that's me. Let's not do that. Let's not. Let's just. Let's not go anywhere near that, okay? Fair. But yeah, no, that's, uh, it is also very, like, secondhand relatable for, for me, because, like, the, my, my oldest brother and sister are, have always just, like, anything the other one does becomes a fight, and, like, continue to be that way. To this day. Right. They're just always at each other's throat over something. They have, like, frequently got into, like, physical fights. <laughs> yeah, they're the maddest people that I know that still hang out. And it is, like, a weird thing, too, of, like, occasionally my, like, oldest sister will get mad at my other sister. But, like, it's never, like, a full-on fight it never gets too bad it's like never in a fight with me but like those two in particular for whatever reason like the, my oldest siblings just will not let anything go for the other one yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> i can do the exact same thing as my older brother no one bats an eyelash it's fine it, but but if he does it like she is like kicking him out of her house and it's a screaming match <laughs> yeah well, but you're the baby, Jake, so you get you get all that leeway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm the best. Well, As the let's, baby. Not exa- mm, let's not exaggerate, shall we? I mean, what do you know? You're a middle child. Bottom of the barrel. Wow. I mean, I don't disagree. Look at Malcolm. Maybe that's why I'm so harsh on Malcolm. Because I was also a middle child, and I wasn't that big of a piece of shit. I, was, I couldn't be. Fair enough. <laughs> I, am, I am the middle child, though. In a weird, weird family. Look, only one of my siblings is, like, fully related to me. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> but I have four. I feel like we're also going to be on the same page for our Cloris Leachman Award. Who did you choose for that, David? Jane Kaczmarek. Yeah, you, you got her for this episode. Yeah, you really do. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah, th- th- this, uh, this whole episode is just like a... Like, spotlight for Lois as a character and Jane Kaczmarek as an actress. Yeah. But to, like, show off it, it, it it's great. It really is. It's it's very funny. And, and it's an interesting dynamic, too, when you look at the show. Because a lot of the times, like, you know, the stuff that inspires the show is a lot of stories like, oh, this was me and my brothers or me and, you know, our friends growing up. And it's interesting to kind of see that presented from the, the female aspect inside of things because i'm sure this is just like it is for the guys like a blown up and and sort of drawn out of uh experience from some of the writers on that as well right because i know especially just like dude the way that they talk to each other is it, it, it is a slightly more just dramatized version of so many arguments I have heard before. <laughs> like, dude, okay, my sisters once had an argument all in references. And I don't mean, like, like what we do when we, like, constantly reference pop culture. But I mean, like, references back to, like, events and conversations that they've had before. All in, like, this weird sort of shorthand. It was... Gotcha. It made you think that they were going to have a stroke. <laughs> it was... The weirdest argument I have ever witnessed in my life. See, yeah, yeah. 
My memory's just not good enough to be that petty. <laughs> <laughs> Which of these plot lines did you choose as the A plot of your heart, David? Did you stick with the lowest one? Yeah, of course. I actually did not. Okay. I didn't because... figure you would. Can I can I guess which one you picked? Yes. Is it the Dewey plotline? It is not. Okay. Uh, it's the Francis one then. Got it. Yes. Yeah. All right. I I see. I went back and forth, and I was like, I wonder which one he'll pick. But I I knew it had to be one of those two. But I was thinking that the end scene alone would have worn won you over to Dewey. I was wrong. Uh, no. If I hadn't gone with the F plot, I would have gone. With the like titular lowest wall. Okay. It, it was very good. It has like the most going on as far as like character growth and all of that stuff goes. But the the, the F plot is the one that made me laugh the most. It is super funny. <laughs> so I went with that one because I figured we would be you know talking enough about uh the, the you know lowest stuff and and how great it was. Right. Then, what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment or detail that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. So, there were a couple things that I considered, and I still have a decent one as a backup, but I ended up finally giving it to the uh, classical music ringtone (laughs) on the Nokia cell phone. Fair. It's very timely. You're not wrong. (laughs) It, It is like the... Like, default, stereotypical ringtone of the era. It is. <laughs> like, the minute I heard it, I immediately knew it was a cell phone. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh man, that took me back to the late 90s, early 2000s. Also, the the charger she has that fucking phone oh on. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> which just looks like a house phone-like charger, which was wild to see. Bro, they used to look like I, that, though. I know, but I, like, erased that from my mind until I saw it again <laughs> in this episode. Dude, there was a short period of time there where if you were behind on cell phone technology, but ahead on home phone technology, your cell phone and your home phone looked alike. And my dad had that problem. And the <laughs> amount of times that I have grabbed his cell phone that he had for his work at the time... Uh, instead of our ringing house phone, was way too high. I don't doubt it. Because <laughs> especially, like, he had that old-school Nokia, like, brick phone that had the slight curve in it, you mm-hmm. know? And then that was his work phone. And then we went to those cordless handphones uh, that, like, just sit instead of, like, hanging up and, and, like, sitting flush. They would sit with the face pointed out so that you could read the caller id because the caller id was built into the phone yep and so like the home phone and his cell phone looks so much alike to me yeah no they're, they're they look the same <laughs> understandable <Yeah. laughs> i used to do that a lot or like he'd ask me to bring him his cell phone and i'd grab the home phone on accident you know shit like that yeah that makes sense he accidentally drove out into the oil field with uh with the home phone once <laughs> oh no yeah, he was real mad about that because the phone is how they call the dispatchers. So. Right. Yeah, he had to he had to drop off that load, use the phone at the at the oil rig site, and then drive the fucking sixty five miles back home to grab his cell phone before he could take another run. He lost a <laughs> bunch of money that day. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, yes, the 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 phone and the uh, ringtone were my backup, but. My first choice is the casting for Susan, who was played by Laurie Metcalf, <laughs> who was as like most famous as uh, Aunt Jackie from Roseanne. Yeah, and this is like very typical for what she was doing around this time because Roseanne ended in 1997. Then she had, like, another short-lived sitcom, like, right after that. And then for, like, years after that, like, most of her credits are just, like, one-off guest appearances and, like, a bunch of voice stuff. Like, until, like, fairly recently. She's actually been on, like, a lot of, like, pretty big movies and shows again within, like, the last five years. But, like, in 2004, this was, like, pretty much what you saw Laurie Metcalf showing up in was, like... You know, guest appearances in a show. And that was about it. (laughs) Okay. My backup, which I want to mention here, because, like, if I didn't have a literal personal story about the phone, I wouldn't have gone with it. 
But my backup was the fact that you could have a story about Francis being left alone on a camping trip with the Girl Scout troops for a weekend and not have it be weird and creepy. You do this, you do this three years later, and this becomes like because uh, it was about three years after this when all of the like stuff like first started big time breaking for the like I mean that stuff had been around for forever but this is I think it was in 2008 2009 is when the uh like the the big group of boy scout leaders got caught and whatnot and started facing charges for being awful horrible creeps and ever since then <laughs> yeah 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 you can't you can't have a scenario like that without there being some sort of weird sexual joke or innuendo right and the fact that that's completely missing from the f plot i totally dig and i love it yeah yeah no fair uh, admittedly i didn't even think about that but you are uh, that, completely right that's fair yeah no that was my backup but uh, but that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid awards uh david why'd you choose malcolm this week Wow. <laughs> How dare you assume? How okay, dare. okay, you're right, you're right. Who did you choose as shittiest kid, David? I chose Malcolm, yeah. obviously. Of course. <laughs> of course you did. Listen, Jake. <laughs> Malcolm completely abandoned his morals and his sense of self and his intellectual prowess Simply because a pretty girl smiled at him. That is, that alone is, come on now. Like, grow up, mature up. You can you can still be girl crazy and, and all that and still keep your morals. I managed to do it. Also, he continued to try to undermine Lois with Reese to find a reason or a way to get that engine and put it back in the vehicle so that he could willingly disobey his parents. Also, the fact that they had to remove the engine <laughs> so that he and Reese would not, specifically him, because we know he can drive. Reese driving, that's a scary thing. We've seen where that goes. Police are involved. It's no, awful. He was a very good driver, David. How dare you? Uh-huh. Hostage situation aside. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but yeah, so legitimately, all of that, you know, all of that stated, plus just Malcolm, you know, trying to, like, again, be shitty to Lois when Lois is trying to be like, no, the um, a sports car is too much. And he's like, this is a transaction between Aunt, uh, Aunt Susan and us. Like, shut up, you little prick. Um... If if that was me, I'd have gotten smacked in the next week. Fuck. I talked to my mom like that, and I'd have been literally hit hard enough that I would wake up again when I was old enough to take the car. I mean, say, but it wouldn't have stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, that's the difference between you and I, Jake. That's the difference. I broke the rules when no one could catch me. <laughs> I mean, that I wasn't a rule breaker, but I've been, you know me <laughs> for all my life if i thought of a fun dumb little sarcastic comment i would say it knowing full well that my mom is going to hit me very hard in the back of the head for saying it, it wouldn't stop me <laughs> yeah see if only that's where it stopped like i had to stop doing stuff like that because it got me grounded oh yeah no same it's like my the only thing i ever got grounded for as a kid yeah no i didn't like losing my stuff it was worth it. <laughs> Gotta commit to the bet, David. <laughs> no. No, you don't, Jake. No, you don't. I had good stuff. Also, if I'd have gotten grounded more, what the fuck would all of you have done? My house was where everyone came to hang out. <laughs> True. I had to stay ungrounded for everyone else's sake, Jake. Now, what, what a hero. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, as much as I hate to support you and your anti-Malcolm propaganda... I also chose Malcolm as shittiest kid for this episode. Mostly for his going with Reese and declaring him a god and saying he's going to, you know, follow Reese no matter what because we've already seen him go through this plotline in Stupid Girl and he has right. failed to learn his lesson and grow. 
So I, I had to hold that against him. Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree. Who did you choose as your least shitty kid? Oh, well, that's easy. Dewey. Okay. Dewey did nothing wrong. Mm, I don't know. Dewey did nothing. Oh. David? What? Think about how many ants they're going to have. Do you want ants, Dewey? Because that's how you get ants. It's the garage. There's ants in there anyways. (laughs) Dewey was making art, and he got a little carried away, which, by the way, runs in the family. I mean, look at what Hal has done in that garage. (laughs) Dewey was enjoying himself. He was gracious about accepting the gift. He wasn't stuck up. He wasn't coming from uh, a horrible place. And he just indulged himself in creating these pieces of art uh, and enjoying himself, uh, which is something no one else in this episode could do. No one else could just simply let someone live their life and live their own. This whole episode is all about people meddling in other people's lives except for dewey i mean he he did sneak into the garage to directly disobey alan lois the, the exact thing you were just talking about being shitty for malcolm no they didn't say he couldn't use it yes they did <laughs> so they weren't allowed to have their gifts and locked it away away from them what do you mean I, I still chose Dewey, but yeah, I didn't see him sneaking in. I, I guess he I just climbed didn't take in it through that way. a window. I legit missed that. That must have been oh. one of the moments where like Thorin was in front of me. Yeah, yeah, like as like Malcolm and Reese were uh, like talking about or like whining about not being able to get the car. It then goes to Dewey, who was like stacked stuff up so he can climb through like the tiny window of the garage. Oh yeah, I missed that. Yeah, that, that's how he was getting in. All right. I take back everything I just said. <laughs> I I 100% did not see that. That must have been one of the times when my one of my kids was crying. Yeah, yeah. I miss, I'm yeah, I missed that completely. But yeah, still still least shitty kid. Agreed. But still shitty. <laughs> Look, he hasn't been a perfect angel in a long time, Jake. Yeah. Yeah, I've had to let it go. I'm aware. And I, I'm glad that you have say that with a little more remorse you know but uh that wraps up our awards but we have a couple segments left beginning with the cranston connection which is where we connect various characters played by brian cranston as we have determined that in some form or fashion they are all one character and that's right david you are on the cranston connection this week what's the connection well that's easy see this is where we see that walt has always been incapable of not being with someone who is crazy and when i say crazy i mean women who will are willing to deliberately use their powers to control others and to seize control uh much as skylar ends up doing uh in breaking bad at some point uh when pushed a little bit by the circumstances she's in also beyond that this is where we see why it took so long for walt who whose ego had grown massively at this point even with that though it took him so long to get to that point to where he stood up to skylar and then you actually see that go in the opposite direction and that's very much so because of moments like this in his life you know he he sees these women and and the power that they have and the depths at which they are willing to sink to in order to get their way and he frankly is afraid Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, our next segment is WTF is COG, uh, which is where we try to determine what uh, the company HAL works for, which is COG, does and what that acronym stands for. I have determined this week and am proposing that COG stands for Cloned Organs Global. (laughs) (laughs) And that they, in fact, are on the cutting edge of organ cloning technology. That's the real reason Susan was there to see them, is that, you know, she was trying to bring herself to ask Hal for the favor of, you know, getting his work to, you know, try to get her one of these experimental cloned organs. 
Uh, but obviously, you know, she, she was unable to bring herself to, you know, move past her pride and ask for that before Lois took the matter out of her hands entirely. Wow. And it also uh, adds up that, you know, that this is 2004. And, you know, this company is going through all of these issues as we will then see this company's undoing one year later in the movie The Island. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, which is a very deep cut to a very not great movie. <laughs> it was not, yeah, no. <laughs> God. <laughs> But uh, that just leaves our last segment, David's Guessing Game, which you did very well on this week, David. Hell yeah. As you uh, predicted that Susan would be visiting the Wilkerson's, uh, you speculated either because of some sort of illness or because she was trying to get away from Ida still living with her or both. And uh, obviously that that was the case. And you thought that... Uh, she would have, like, a big blow-up fight with Lois uh, over, like, all, all of their uh, issues. Like, you thought that it would be more centered around, like, the Ida preferring Susan to Lois stuff and sort of all of those issues. Because I think you had forgotten about the, like, brief mention that uh, Hal had dated Susan before Lois. Yep. And he also correctly predicted that it would sort of end with them resolving at least some of their issues and getting along somewhat better. Uh, and with, with that, I think you got, like, most of the big points, so I gave you a 98%. Oh, thanks. And what do you think happens next week in Malcolm Dates a Family? Oh, you know what? I might have seen this one. Yeah? Yes, I think I've seen that episode. Because if it's the one I'm thinking of, Malcolm has like a girlfriend or a girl that he wants to be his girlfriend. And then she invites him over for dinner or something like that, or like a game night or something like that. And Malcolm ends up like getting more attached to her family and ends up like forgetting about her and blowing her off and then she ends up like leaving or something like but he like completely stops paying attention to her. Okay. I think I've seen this one. Okay then. Uh it's one of the few episodes of this show that I've seen. Well, we will see if you're right about which episode it is. Okay. And that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening, and credit and thanks to Jacob Newfeld, who does our intro and outro music. Uh, and you can find the links to all of his social media, as well as places that you can listen to his music, uh, in the episode descriptions. And if you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email, where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, where we are unfair underscore podcast. If you enjoy the banter back and forth here and want to join us live, head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, chat with the audience, and in general, have a good time. And as always, remember that life is unfair. Mm -hmm.